we had a new family come on Sunday, and they said their favorite part was the fellowship time. Uh, thank you. They had never been to a church that took a fellowship break, and uh, they said when, as soon as you said amen and it just exploded with all of this life that they were, they were very impressed. They also loved that I love coffee and that we have good coffee. All right, Numbers 33. We are almost at the end of Numbers, and then we're going to dive right into Joshua chapter 1 when we're done with Numbers, and you won't miss a thing. We just pick up in the next breath because that's the chronology. Now, Father, as we focus our hearts on heavenly matters, um, these words are living. They were meant in their original context for people 3,500 years ago, and yet your timeless truths touch our hearts. And Paul the Apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, these were written down, these very truths about the Exodus, for us upon whom the the fulfillment of the ages has come. So thank you, Father, for speaking to us tonight in advance and help us to put your truth into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I really like some of the old hymns we sang one um, this evening. They're very rich in their content. I, when I became a Christian, immediately I was planted and plugged into a church that loved hymns, and so they've always had a special place in my heart, those timeless truths, even though they were written hundreds of years ago. Uh, the only problem I have with them is the archaic language. Sometimes I just want to uh, stand up and come up here and explain it to people when we're singing about something they wouldn't understand. Uh, A line from my current favorite song right now, Before the Throne of God Above, it was written in 1863. There's a couple lines in there. No tongue can bid me thence depart. It just means... Nothing you can say or do can separate me from my security in Christ. I love that hymn. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written in 1527. There's one stanza here. There's one stanza here that says, The Prince of Darkness Grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, we know his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. You know, well, we get that. We're not paralyzed by fear of the devil. Just one word from God, and he's destroyed. And then finally, I'm thinking of Come Thou Fount, written in 1758. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And we have talked about this before. Uh, you'll remember that this speaks of, uh, in First Samuel chapter 7, after a long period of being defeated by the Philistines, uh, Israel turns their hearts and starts to obey the Lord, funny thing, and uh, then he blesses them with a victory, and Samuel says, uh, raise that rock up there. We're going to call it, in Hebrew, Eben Haizer, which means 
helping stone, or God is my help, or up until this place, God has helped me. So every time the Israelites would walk by that, that stone, they would remember God as their help and that God had been faithful to help them. Now, this is precisely the idea of the long list of places that appears here in Numbers 33. The idea behind it is not just a travel log, but it is to really raise 42 Ebenezers up. I'll show you the map here. We've seen this map before. The starting place, and this particular map leaves off the, the, the places where nothing notable happens, which really speaks uh, of some truth itself. Not, not every stop in our Christian life has something dramatic happening. In fact, most of the names listed in Numbers 33 are where nothing's recorded. And in our Christian life, it doesn't mean when there's not high drama or not just a mountaintop experience that it was a waste. There are typical Tuesdays when you are just washing the car or taking care of a sick child. Or, or having the car fixed, or cleaning house, or doing routine paperwork. Most of the names you're going to read are typical Tuesdays that were very important, and they were led by God for the people to be there, but they weren't going to get to the next place until Tuesday happened. So Tuesdays are important too, but we are going to take a look at more of the highs and the real lows in the list which are recorded. And so then we're just going to leave that map up there. I'll refer to it um, because he's going to start at the beginning and he's just going to list the places. And he's doing that to encourage them, to remind them of God's faithfulness and also to never forget their past mistakes. Because see, folks, they're about ready to go through the gates and into the promised land. So it's a perfect time to review the journey and say, what have you learned you can go through the Jordan River. It's going to part miraculously for them. But what's on the other side? He says, you can go with confidence, with peace in your heart, with joy, with security, so that you can do the Matthew 6.33 principle. Seek my kingdom first, and all the other stuff will fall into place. You can do that as you recall God's past faithfulness to you. His past faithfulness to you is his bond and the guarantee that he will continue to be faithful to you. So you have no cause for worry. As you reflect on the Ebenezers in your life, you're able to say, the same God that got me out of that jam, the same God that's provided for me there, the same God that protected and helped me and showed me grace and the same God that restored me from that failure the same God is with us and so that's the whole point here in numbers 33 so now patience it's a long list and we're going to take it in stages there is a little bit of commentary where it needs to be but we're going to take it in stages and I'm going to ask you since it's written for you 1 Corinthians 10, just listen to this, what Paul says about what you're going to read. Now, these things in the book of Numbers, because he refers to them. Now, these things, Paul says, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. 
these things happen to them as examples and warnings and encouragement for us upon whom the fulfillment of the age has come. So I want you, when we're going through the journey, to think of your Christian journey because you're somewhere there. You're either in, on a mountaintop or you're in the valley or you're in a Tuesday. You're somewhere there in your walk. So I, you should be asking yourself, how is their journey like mine? Um, how were their mistakes like the ones I'm making? How are their victories a promise of future ones for me? Ex, um, Numbers 33, verse 1. You ready? We'll just hit the first stage here. Stages in Israel's journey. Verse 1. Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. This is their journey by stages. The Israelites set out from Ramses, a city there, on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. And that was, of course, the very first Passover. They marched out boldly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. So we're going to pause there. Roman numeral number one, what is God saying as he tells Moses, start to look over the journey and start with, number one, how I saved you. I want you to remember, I want the joy of the Lord to be your strength by you reflecting on that incredible, miraculous moment when the breath of God came into you and took you from dead in your sins and raised you up to a new creation, somebody with hope, an heir of heaven, he wants to remind them of that great day. He wants to stir in their hearts gratitude, confidence, and hope so that they can see through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come to encourage one another as they review, remembering how God saved them. Now, God of all people wants to encourage them. Why? God of all people knows how timid we are, how weak and fickle in our faith. He's well acquainted with our propensity toward evil. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are but dirt. He understands that because he made us. Jesus said, listen, can you guys pray with me and stay awake? And they fell asleep. And he said, I know, I know, your spirit is willing, but your body is as stubborn as a mule. It doesn't want to comply. So if anybody understands how discouraged and so quickly we get spiritual amnesia, he says, Moses, start the roll call of the places. Raise up the 42 Ebenezers and let them see afresh and anew how I've been with them, how I've been faithful, so that they would be encouraged so quickly. As soon as one little mistake, we think God is ready to condemn us when he constantly has to say things like, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 
He's constantly have to say, if God is for you, who could be against you? God is your biggest fan. Well, how could he be if he, if he knows everything about me? <laughs> Jesus died for those things. He created you. You have a maker. He formed your heart. Why would he create you and call you into existence and then put the gospel in your heart in the presence of the Holy Spirit if he didn't love you? You need to just accept that by faith. When we remember God's faithfulness in the past, we can have confidence concerning the, tr- the future. So a journey of a thousand miles really did begin with one step, and boy, what, what a doozy it was. I mean, they had the Passover, and it was time to leave. They're leaving, and it's just unbelievable. Stage one, your conversion. They, he's saying in a paraphrase here, remember the day you marched out as not as runaway slaves, but as victorious conquerors while they're burying their dead. And handing over their treasures to you, you make your exit triumphantly. He opens the door. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, Philippians 1.6. He who started the work will finish it. Hebrews chapter 12, the author and the finisher. So he's saying, look, remember the ten plagues. Remember what I did to those who were harassing you? Remember how I bound the enemy and set you free and opened the doors and held everybody back and let you walk through? The same God who did this and sustained you through all of this is going to get you to the promised land. That's what he wants them to realize, and it's what we need to realize. The same God that brought you into life is the same God who will complete that work. Now, uh, did you come into the picture like they did? A thousand volt shock from a defibrillator, or however you say that word. Is that how you came to life? Or was it in massaging in a warm towel like a, a stillborn puppy that comes to life? There are all kinds of ways to come to life, but it's a miracle nonetheless. And as we recall those moments, how God delivered us, gave us eternal life, made a new creation out of us. Remember the day that against all odds, when you were powerless, I saved you. I made you alive. And I'll finish it. You know, it just made me think of the disco again and walking out. And every time I'm discouraged, I think of that day. Oh, my word. It just brings such joy. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, the day Jesus washed my sins away. So he's saying, Moses, start with the beginning. Remember the ten blasts, the power from on high, how God set them free, and so he does that. 5 through 15 now, the second stage. The Israelites left Ramses and camped at Succoth. They left Succoth and camped at Etham, on the edge of the desert, they left Etham, turned back to Pi Hiaroth, to the east of Baal Zephon, and camped near Migdal. They left Pi Hiaroth and passed through the sea into the desert, and when they traveled for three days in the desert of Etham, they camped at Mara. They left Mara and went to Elam. 
where they were where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there now you know they never wanted to leave there the, <laughs> that's one of their mountaintops they're always thirsty they're hungry and then they get to an oasis 70 trees and 12 springs of water but they can't stay there they left elam camped by the red sea they left the red sea and camped in the desert of sin they left the desert of Sin and camped at Do- Dofka. They left Dofka and camped at Alush. They left Alush and camped at Rafidim, Re- Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They left Rephidim and camped in the desert of Sinai. Now, they're not, first of all, it's remember how I saved you, and now it's remember my past faithfulness to you. And so now, they're not striking out on their own. They're following a presence from place to place. God is faithful to guide them. And so he's saying, remember my past faithfulness. Uh, Verses 5 through 15, there are 12 moves, and all by God's design. Now, you know those scenes in movies where the prisoner has served his time, and it's time to go. And after many years, he goes to the gates, and the gates open up, and the fresh air hits him, and what does he have? He has a sack of stuff, some shoes, some clothes. That's it. Bye-bye. Good luck. Well, when the gates opened up, and they start toward the promised land, they have a helping hand. They have a presence. He says, I want them to remember that I am guiding them by a pillar of fire by night, a cloud of glory by day, the presence of God was with them. Um, There's a destination that's chosen. There's a presence to guide them in these verses. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a big deal because by definition, we are people who are led. That's a definition of a son of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who are led. In other words, we have a father. We have his agenda. We are marching to his orders and his commands. Do you remember in John 7, I've mentioned this before. It always is um, kind of intriguing to me. His brothers at the time not believing in Jesus as the Messiah. They are teasing him about going to Jerusalem for the uh, holiday. And they say, you're not going yet? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going yet. Any time is right for you guys, but I'm not going yet. Every time is right for you. You have no agenda. You have no relationship with the Father. You are striking out on your own. Do I want to go here? Do I want to go there? Yeah, I'm going to go over there. But I already have a relationship with the Father, and the Father said, not yet, son. But he says to his unbelieving brothers who don't have a Father in heaven, they would have a father in heaven if they believed. Oh, any time is right for you all. No, I'm not going because I'm listening to a voice before I just strike out on my own. And so here, as Moses is recalling, he's saying, remember, you're, you're led. He's leading you. You're, it's, this isn't up to you where you go next. You pray about it. You seek godly counsel. You are led in peace, and God has through his word and the Holy Spirit to guide you. It's not, you're not up. It's not left up to you. 
Now, of course, the cool thing is the cloud and the fire that's leading them is called the theophany, which is a manifestation of God. Listen to this. Exodus 13 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day. But it's the Lord that went ahead of them. Remember in Exodus 14, it says, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire. Jesus in John 8 is going to say, Okay, New Testament truth for the Christian. I am the light of the world. If any man come to me and believe in me, any man follow me, he will have the light of life. In that moment, Jesus was uh, connecting the pillar of fire to himself. Moses converses with the angel of the Lord in the flame. The angel of the Lord is code for the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fire and the cloud that leads. And if you are a son of God, you are being led or you are not a son of God. If you are leading yourself, you got your own plans, your own agenda, your own time frames. There's something's wrong because that's part of the deal here that he's trying to encourage them. It's just a fascinating concept to have a father who's leading you every step of the way. When I was in the Philippines, I, I spent a summer there when I was at Bethany as an intern, a missionary intern. And I, we were in the jungles, and uh, we went to a hut. And in the hut was a family with nothing. And I asked, where's your stuff? Where's their stuff? They don't have stuff. They didn't have anything in the hut, nothing but the clothes on their back. And this little girl and a ukulele, this little girl in one little like hand-me-down sundress, from my point of view, it looked like dirty, bare feet in the ukulele. And the father's playing the ukulele. And she sings, I may not know the way I go, but oh, I know my guide. His love will never fail. His love will never fail. I may not know the way I go, but oh, I know my guide. It just seared into my mind, my heart. He's saying, remember my faithfulness to guide you and to protect you, to give you what you need. The warmth in the night, the cloud cover by day, I am with you. It's a wonderful recollection. So remembering the miracles now, you'll notice God led them to a place called Pi-Hiroth. He led them to a cul-de-sac hemmed in by the Red Sea. He leads them there so that Pharaoh's armies get stirred up and they have no place to turn. And he says, watch this. But the crazy thing is, is that it says there in Exodus 14 that God led them to the dead end. He led them there. He wanted them to have their backs up against the wall. And he was like, because he knows what he's going to do. They were all crazed with terror. But God was excited. God said, just remember that sometimes I lead you into places where I can bring my glory I'll lead you into weakness so that I can show you my strength. 
and uh, not, not to be afraid of those scenes. You know, they pass through the Red Sea. They do not wade through the Sea of Reeds, if you're ever reading commentaries, and some liberal wants to make a comment like that. So remember the miracles he's saying, the, the sickness that miraculously disappeared, the check that miraculously showed up, the chance meeting of that special someone, the miraculous narrow escape, the miracle job offer, the pregnancy they said couldn't happen, the miraculous changes in your own heart and life. Remember those things. So he says, Pi Hiroth, and they're like, whoa, yeah, the sea. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And the same God who split the sea can split other barriers. In verse 9, those 70 palm trees and 12 spring oases, um, you know, that they just never want to leave, but they have to. So quickly, he's faithful to provide. The manna starts to fall there in this leg of the journey. Um, also, they need, they start to complain about the manna, you'll remember, in this leg. And um, so they want meat. So God says, we're going to give you some quail. You'll have um, quail on toast in the morning. You'll have quail salad in the afternoon. You can have quail kebabs. Uh, you can have quail sherbet and quail lattes and quail. And then it says, until it came through their nostrils. And so uh, these are memories that they're having here. The two great things is the manna, the bread of heaven, Jesus, who sustains our eternal life. And also the water from the rock happens on this leg of the journey. Moses can't find water. The Lord says, Moses, take your staff, strike the rock, and water will bleed from the smitten stone. And you will find living water. In John 19, the rod, the spear, is shoved into uh, Jesus' side. From his side comes water, living water. Uh, Jesus said, I give you my body as bread. So the bread, the water, all happened on this um, leg of the journey. The Lord is calling them to remember that God provides for their every need. And when, when they were at their worst, when they were at their worst, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will one dare to die for anybody, though for a good man, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his great love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So what I'm trying to say here is, as he's talking about the second leg, They're at their worst, and God is providing for them everything that they need. And we need to remember that. Now, the next leg of the journey, all the way um, to verse 49, where we're going to stop. All right? So the, the, the next leg of the journey will bring you all the way up to where we are right at the coast there on the shore of the Jordan River. All right? So picking up at 16... They leave Sinai campgrounds. They get the law of God. 
and uh, they move 21 times. Now, you can read these wonderful stops at home. I don't want to take away that great joy that you have an opportunity. So we're going to pick up at verse 37 where something notable happens. All right? Verse 37. They left Kadesh and camped at Mount Or on the border of Edom. Well, now we're already at the end of the story. We're already pretty much there. At the Lord's command, Aaron, the priest, went up to Mount Or where he died on the first day of the 15th month of the 40th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. See, so we're done with the journey, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Of course, there were 21 stops right before that I have skipped over. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Or. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev of Canaan, heard that the Israelites were coming. They left, well, can you imagine that little space is like seven miles wide, and there are two million people. That's as big as San Francisco. Two million people just coming down the pike. Can you imagine that poor king of Arad? <laughs> little, a little dismayed. They left Mount Or and camped at Zimana. They left Zalmana and camped at Punan. They left Punan and camped at Oboth. They left Oboth and camped at Aie Abarim on the border of Moab. They left Aim and camped at Dibon Gad. They left Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathaim. Wow. They left that place and camped <laughs> and camped in the mountains of Abarim near Nebo, where Moses is going to die. Uh, he hasn't died yet. He's going to die. They left the mountains of Abarim and camped on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, right where we are right now. There on the plains of Moab, they camped along the Jordan from Beth Jeshimoth to Abel Shatim. All right, so in conclusion, wrapping this up, this travel log, he's saying, remember... I want you to, as you're facing forward, I want you to never forget how I saved you. Think back on that day. I did for you what you yourself could never do. And I saved you through faith. Now, if I saved you through faith when you were in the slave pits, please listen to this. This is an important part. If I, slay, if I saved you when you were a slave and you could not save yourself, how could, you, how could I expect you to maintain the walk by your own effort. How can it go from a complete, I pulled you out of the muck and mire, you were emaciated, you were spiritually dead, you could do nothing, it was all my doing, and now suddenly it's all up to you. You can't be saved by grace and then work your way. It just doesn't work that way. You're saved by grace, you're sustained by grace, you're delivered by grace, you will arrive in heaven by grace. And you can cooperate along the way to make things easier. So remember how I saved you. There's so many lessons there. And remember my faithfulness that, that leads and protects and provides in spite of you. And then this last part, remember the painful cost of rebellion. So in this last leg is when the bad boy behavior uh, really came 
to be. Now, verse 37, they left, they left Kadesh. When you say Kadesh to those Jews, they just shudder. That's the place where, right here, right there, they were about to go into the land this way. And God says, okay, we're here, we're about to go. This is 40 years ago, right? First generation. They get here, boom. God says, that's it. They're complaining. They want to kill Moses again. God says, that's it. It's been 10 times you've done this. You're done. Nobody 20 and older is getting in. And they turn around right there. Now, interestingly, he doesn't talk about the turning around. And the wasted 38 years, he goes straight. He goes, Moses, in this journal, goes straight from this disaster straight over. Straight over to here. And all of this, not mentioned. God says, you know what? I'm not rubbing your nose in it. I'm a God of grace. Those wasted years, what can you do about them now? And so in God's recounting, in his graciousness, he he does mention that Aaron starts to die. Miriam's going to die. Moses is going to die. The first generation has to die because of what happened right at the gate. So what is he saying? He's saying, remember how I saved you. Remember my faithfulness. But don't forget the painful cost of stopping short. Now, um, can God ever have an end to his patience? The answer is yes. With unbelievers, there's a day when the heart stops and the prompting of the Holy Spirit is withdrawn. There's a day. When does that day come? God knows. But I would say the patience ends at a certain place where the sinner, God knows this is never going to happen, done. As the Proverbs say, a man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Well, how many is many? Well, I guess only God knows. But he says there's a limit to that for unbelievers. And how about believers? The answer is yes, of course. You know, like a dad, when kids are misbehaving, yeah, they're learning and growing. And you're kind and gentle and you show mercy if you're a good dad. Grace and mercy, grace and mercy. But when they're not getting it and there's clear knowledge and there's clear ability, clear ability, clear knowledge, and a lot of grace has been shown and a lot of mercy has been shown, what does dad have to do? He has to come with tough love. And that's what happened at Kadesh. And when you say Kadesh in the travel journey, they all say, got it, I'll remember this that I can't mess around with God and that there are painful consequences to turning our hearts away from him. And so the consequences, of course, is Aaron is going to die, so they need a new high priest. Uh, Miriam dies, they're going to need a new choir director. And Moses dies, and you're going to get Yeshua, Joshua, who is able to lead them into the promised land where Moses and the law of Moses cannot. And so with all of these changes, though, we see that God doesn't change. And the Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90, is a a Psalm Moses wrote. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Thou, O Lord, has been our dwelling place in all generations. So really, that last point, 
just to bring it up to a close, don't forget the consequences. And I myself, I would rather learn vicariously through the suffering of others uh, than to actually suffer. Now, what do I mean by that? Not that I'd rather watch you suffer, and, uh, but I would rather read, I would rather read and be aghast at Samson, the total man of God, who was a man of God and, and so favored, and he compromised, and he began to be taken captive, his eyes gouged out, and then he became like a clown to to entertain the Philistines. When I read that and know that it was sexual immorality, grace the first time, grace the second time, arise, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and boom, go the cords. The first time, the second time, the third time, and then the fourth time. Arise, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Can't do a thing, and he's captured. The patience, the grace, now it's tough love. And I I look at that, and when I read the last chapter of that, I cringe. I cringe there. Uh, And when the Hebrews are are vomiting up the quail, I, I get it. You know, I I cringe when King David is fasting for the baby that, I'm sorry, died because of his lust and sinfulness. I look at that and go, dear God, it started with a stroll on the roof and looking at a beautiful woman taking a bath on the roof. That's how that started. I would rather just sprawl myself out and with David and go, never Never, or to see Saul, King Saul, gifted and called of God, and then see Samuel. Uh, he says, No, no, stay with me. And he tears Samuel's robe and he's holding part of it. And Samuel turns and says, God is going to tear the kingdom away from you and give it to somebody more worthy. I, and every pastor I know, shudders at that verse. I would rather look at them and say, I get it. I'm not going that way. I'm not going to be Samuel holding a piece of garment and having to step down because I've done something stupid. Nor do I want to be fasting and praying over somebody's demise because of what I've done and begging God to undo it for that person, and he doesn't. We were two pastors. Whenever I use examples like this, be sure that it has nothing to do with the church or anybody you would know, or I would never say it. Many churches ago, two pastors and I went to a house where adultery had been committed. There were kids running around in diapers, in chaos. The wife was upside down with fury and tears. The husband, a complete unraveled mess. There was, it was hell in that room. And we walked out and my pastor friend said to me, remind me never to commit adultery. Then we both kind of smiled. It was a joke, sort of. 
nobody who was in that room would ever consider if they were wise of entertaining any kind of sick thought ever because we were in the chaos, the whirlpool of hell that you can't really undo. The little babies, the wife, oh, Christians, they were Christians, Bibles all over the house. So I'd rather listen to the list. And he says, remember there, remember the golden calf, the city there, remember the quail. Remember Kadesh, where you had to do a U-turn and nobody could go in? So, on a happier note, you, <laughs> you raise your Ebenezers, but they don't necessarily have to um, be encouraging and uplifting in a positive way. They can be uplifting and, and, and encouraging in a warning way. You see? Maybe if uh, the Philistines uh, would have let Samson go, and he had a little bit of a memento from the prison there. And maybe he made a necklace out of it, put it around his neck, so he could remember. So it would always be there every time he thought, you know, that Philistine girl, she's hot. And then, oh, yeah. Sometimes we need that. So 42 Ebenezer's, some encouraging you, because of his faithfulness, his love, and his power to save you, and others to warn you, to think back, to look at other people's failures. As 1 Corinthians 10 says, and I'll close with this, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did, as I began to read now the finish. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. Four times, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Learn vicariously. The positive way says Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. When I was 19 and 20 and I got saved and God brought Steve Savlich into my life, I went into his home. I met his wife. I saw the way they were living. And I said out loud under my breath, I want this. I want that kind of wife. I want. I walked into his house and they have one of those clocks with the little, um, like a grandfather clock. What is a pendulum? Yeah, and it just you just walked in and you just wanted to cuddle with a pillow and sit on the couch and there was so much peace. And I said, I want that. I want to imitate this man because I want what he has. And I was able to do that. And and. We had somebody over once, and we have one of those clocks. And she said, every time I come into your house, it just feels so peaceful. And went, bingo. It happened. Look at people who are doing it right. Look at the outcome. Imitate that. Look at people 
who are doing it wrong. Look at their life. And sometimes it's deceptive because sometimes their life looks really, really good. But as the psalmist says, wait until the end. (laughs) Wait until the end. Fast forward their tape when you have to. But learn both ways. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, thank you for a walk through the wilderness with the people of God. The highs and the lows and the in-betweens. And how it reflects our own highs and lows and in-betweens. Help us to gather up courage and strength to do the right thing. To, to follow your lead and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. Heavenly Father, help us in the in our hearts of heart, Lord, to be able to trust you with our lives. No matter what obstacles are, are staring at us right now, to believe in you by reflecting, Lord, to encourage ourselves in the Lord by reflecting on how you saved us and how you've been providing faithfully and all the warnings in our lives, all the surround us that give us wisdom on how to stay on the straight and narrow and be blessed. And touch our hearts, Lord, and help us to really believe it and be motivated to do great things for you because of the truth we know that is sure and steadfast. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, which you said is a deposit guaranteeing what's coming. Help us to realize that, Lord. But it's just a done deal. We just need to walk it out with you. We commit ourselves to your care tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you're in